0: Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for this time that we can come together. We ask for the Holy Spirit to guide us and to give us wisdom. Lord, we're living in very interesting times, and your word is a light that guides us. And so, Lord, we pray for the Holy Spirit to give us understanding, help us to have a fruitful time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the message today for tonight is entitled the two sieges and i'd like to direct you to the book of matthew matthew chapter 24 you probably know this chapter very well it's a chapter uh, where jesus talks about what will take place at the end of time uh, the signs and the signs of his coming if you look at matthew chapter 24 and we're going to start with verse 1 you're going to notice that uh, Jesus and his disciples are actually looking at the temple in Jerusalem. And it says, And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, during the reign of Herod, Jerusalem was not only greatly beautified, but it was also uh, had these towering walls and fortresses that added to the natural strength of its architecture. And, it's, and just by looking at how well built and fortified it was, Jerusalem seemed to be rendered apparently impregnable. And for Jesus to say, or for anyone to say at this time, that this building, the temple, and Jerusalem would be destroyed, it would be like what many people would call a conspiracy theorist, a crazed alarmist. And the disciples, knowing this, they decided to hold their peace, and they waited until they were in seclusion on the Mount of Olives to ask Jesus Tell us when shall these things be and what shall be the sign of thy coming? And Jesus throughout the chapter refers to many signs, but tonight we want to focus on one particular sign as Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, he references the book of Daniel and Matthew chapter 24:15 15 says when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel, the prophet, Stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. So, apparently, when Jesus is saying, uh, when he's talking about the abomination of desolation, he says that it is something that you can see. You can see it, you can visibly behold it, you can visibly and physically see and observe the abomination of desolation. So, what does the abomination of desolation do? Well, Jesus says that it stands where? In the holy place. And so what is the abomination of desolation? And where is the holy place on which it stands? Uh, Where else does Jesus refer to this? And here's a hint. If we just use scripture and compare scripture with scripture, you'll see Jesus also referencing this in Luke chapter 21, verse 20. And when Jesus says, and when you shall see... Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. So in other words, we see, as we compare scripture to scripture, we get more information. What is the abomination of desolation? We see that it has something to do with armies surrounding. In fact, specifically surrounding Jerusalem. So when we put these verses together, what Jesus is saying is that when you shall see Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Surrounded, compassed about with armies, then you know that the desolation of Jerusalem is nigh. And Jesus says further on in, in the verses, he says, "Flee when you see this thing." So when you see, according to Matthew twenty-four fifteen, the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, and according to Luke twenty-one twenty, you see Jerusalem compassed with armies, know that the desolation is near. And so when we're talking about armies we're talking about roman armies when roman armies go to war they bring their pagan idols or images that that's on their standards and that were those were their gods they were they were by holding those standards saying that we will conquer you in the name of our pagan gods and when the jews see those idolatrous standards there are clearly abominations which the Roman armies are holding them with the intent to destroy and decimate. And so we see that the armies with these idols and these standards are the abomination of desolation. So where are they standing? Well, they're standing in the holy place. Now, what is the holy place? Uh, Many of us probably kind of think immediately, oh, that must mean the sanctuary. But this is not to be confused with the sanctuary, the holy place with the sanctuary or the temple of God. If Jerusalem, think about it for a minute. If Jerusalem is being compassed with armies, the armies are outside the city. They have to be if they're surrounding the city. So Jerusalem, we need to understand, is on the mount. Mount Zion, which is considered the holy mountain. And if you remember in Exodus chapter 19, uh, where God appeared to the children of Israel and he fenced off a place where they were not to come near or touch the mountain. Why? Because the whole mountain was holy and the armies are here. As Jesus described, standing in the holy place outside the city and the the book Great Controversy confirms this. In page 25, it says, when the idolatrous standards of the Romans should be set up in the holy ground, which extended some furlongs outside the city walls, then the followers of Christ were to find safety in flight. So very clearly, we see that the holy ground is the outside, the mountain, where the city of Jerusalem rests upon, but we see that At this time, the Roman army surround the city with their idolatrous standards in place. And so Jesus says, when you see these things, uh, well, well, let's, let's go to the verse, verse 16. It says, when you see these things, he says, flee to the mountains. So Jesus is saying, when you see the abomination of desolation standing in the holy place, flee to the mountains but the question is how can you flee to the mountains when the armies have surrounded the city that would be a problem but jesus gave this prophecy in A.D. 31 and we see that the roman armies led by cestus came in 66 a.d and encamped around the city to besiege it then for some apparent reason they retreated and abandoned the siege. Perhaps they were given new orders or they were called to help reinforce troops in another battle. Whatever the case may be, they left. That provided the window of opportunity for the Christians to flee. And they fled to the land of Perea. And then in 70 AD, the armies returned, this time led by Titus, And they destroyed the city and those in it. So this already took place back then in 70 AD. So the question we have tonight is, what does this have to do with us? What benefit can we get from this prophecy? You know, it's true that this prophecy referred to their time. But based on Matthew 24, Jesus made it very clear, based upon the question of the apostles, that this prophecy also has a dual application. One for the destruction of Jerusalem and two for the end time. So this prophecy has a secondary meaning intended by Jesus and history repeats the major characteristics that we can observe the abomination of desolation. The word desolation we know as we studied and compared the verses has to do with armies armies have to armies have this power to destroy and decimate and lay to waste and they and the the idea of desolation these armies have to do with the political power armies are connected with a political power political entity so that's desolation connected with armies connect, connected with the political power so how about the word abomination is that, uh, when you use that word, is that dealing with political context or dealing with a religious context? Well, it's clearly religious because it's connected with things that God hates. The word abomination means a detestable thing. And so we see here that desolation connected to armies refers to political powers. Abomination is connected to religious Uh, context and now they are paired together the abomination of desolation so in the future we can expect to see a political power in connection with a religious power and we call this the union of church and state and where else in the bible do we see an image that is being set up And where we see a union between a political power and a religious power. If you look at Revelation chapter 13, 14 through 15, it talks about the second beast. We know the second beast is the United States of America. And it says, the second beast deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. So we see here the image of the beast. What is the image of the beast as mentioned of in Revelation chapter 13? The image of the beast, just giving you the the, the final answer. The image of the beast is none other than the union of church and state. It's a union of church and state. That is taking place so in the future we can expect to see a union of church and state, and when they unite, they're going to attempt to take over to take control of that which is considered to be holy. Now some of us may think you know we uh, know that uh, that the union between this political and religious entity is that they're going to bring about the Sunday law, the national Sunday law. And some people may say, you know what? I'm going to wait till the national Sunday law, then I'll get ready. But notice what great controversy says, you know, when, when Jesus tells the Christians, when they see the abomination of desolation surrounding the city of Jerusalem, that they should flee. We see that great controversy mentions Uh, a man who continued to go up and down the streets of Jerusalem, declaring the woes that were to come upon the city. That's Jerusalem. Woe to Jerusalem. Woe to the inhabitants thereof. His warning cry ceased not until he was slain in the siege that he had foretold. But it goes further to say not one Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. Now, what a pity it is. That although we may be faithfully giving the message of warning, only to end up dead yourself because you did not heed the message yourself. And it says, Not one Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem. Why? Because they remembered the words of Jesus. Because they not only believed, but they acted on the words of Jesus and left the city when the window of opportunity was opened. And so we see that Jesus tells them to flee to the mountains. Now, you know, many people will take this and kind of think that, oh, when we have to go to the country, we got to run to the country and we had to find a place there and then we just got to do it quickly. Now we're not talking about haphazardly or impulsively acting and fleeing, but what we want to do is we want to prayerfully seek God about where God wants us to go and make a plan, and see God's leading and move as he leads us out of the cities and into the country. And we see that, and we're going to talk about country living in a little bit, and how that ties into what we ought to do in in preparation for what's to come. But I'd like to look at a quote here. Um, Notice this fascinating statement by uh, Ellen White, And notice what she says. She says, the Protestant world have set up an idle Sabbath in place of where God's Sabbath should be. And they are treading in the footsteps of the papacy. For this reason, I see the necessity of the people of God moving out of the cities into retired country places where they may cultivate the land and raise their own produce. Thus, they may bring their children up with simple, healthful habits. I see the necessity of making haste to get all things ready for the crisis. You know, notice, she says, the Protestant world have set up an idle Sabbath. She doesn't say that they will set up an idle Sabbath. She says they have set up an uh, idle Sabbath. She's using past tense terminology. So what could the prophet be referring to as the setting up of the idol Sabbath in such a significant way that she would point that as a reason for us to leave the cities? Well, we've got to look at history. It turns out that during the late 19th century, there were some remarkable developments with reference to a nationwide Sunday law in America. In 1888, One particular bill was introduced to Congress by Senator H.W. Blair of New Hampshire, and this bill is simply known as the Blair Bill. And this was the first ever attempt to pass a federal Sunday law. Prior to this, there have been state Sunday laws, but this bill, if it was passed into law, would make Sunday the legal day of worship all across America. And due to A.T. Jones' efforts, in hearings before a congressional committee, the Blair bill was not passed into law. And during the late 1880s and early 1890s, agitation continued over Sunday legislation. And in 1892, there was even an act of Congress to keep the Chicago World's Fair closed on Sunday. And over time, the issue subsided. But notice a fascinating statement by Ellen White. She says, the pressure of the Sunday law has come, past tense, and is coming. We can see that that which we have been talking about for the last 35 years, this law causing the Sunday to be exalted and making human inventions take the place of God's holy day is now being fulfilled. So notice she's using past tense and also talking about what's what's to come. Brothers and sisters, we got to ask ourselves, where are we now? Based on what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and based on what Ellen White says in the spirit of prophecy, we see that the first siege already took place in December 13th, 1888. Speaking of the Sunday law, she says it has come And is coming. And so the second siege that is yet to come and that is coming is the national Sunday law. Spoken of in Revelation chapter 13. And notice the year. 1888. What was special about that year? Remember the 1888 Minneapolis General Conference session? And what was brought before the people was the message of righteousness by faith. And if people received that message right then and there, Christ would have come and surely the Sunday law would have followed and Jesus would have come. But of course, it was averted. The message was rejected, leaving the people unprepared. And this would explain why Mrs. White spoke of a coming crisis after the events surrounding the Blair Bill. So where we are right now in the stream of time is that we are between the first and second siege. Remember in the destruction of Jerusalem, this first siege led by Cestus in AD 66, and they retreated. That was the window of opportunity for the the Christians in Jerusalem to flee for the mountains. And in AD 70, the second siege came. And they did not retreat that time. And those who were in the city, it was too late for them to flee. They couldn't flee anywhere. And so we are living in the middle of these two sieges. We are living in that window of opportunity before the national Sunday law comes about. Do we realize this? testimonies to ministers page 117 says in the very time in which we live the lord has called his people and has given them a message to bear he has called them to expose the wickedness of a man of sin who has made the sunday law a distinctive power who has thought to change times and laws and to oppress the people of god who stand firmly to honor him by keeping the only true sabbath the sabbath of creation as holy unto the lord And we see in letters, page 58, 1906, we should now be doing our very best to defeat the Sunday law. The best way to do this will be to lift up the law of God and make it stand forth in all its sacredness. This must be done if the truth triumphs. So brothers and sisters, we have a very important work to do during this time. We need to lift up the law of God. We need to lift up the righteousness of Christ. We need to lift up the truth as it is in Jesus. We need to proclaim the three angels' messages during this time. Those three angels' messages is to prepare the world for that second siege that is to come upon the planet Earth, starting with America. Signs of the Times, May 6, 1897. The decree enforcing the worship of this day is to go forth to all the world. In a limited degree, it has already gone forth. Talking about it before in the Blair Bill. In several places, the civil power is speaking with the voice of a dragon, just as the heathen king spoke to the Hebrew captives. Manuscript releases volume 50, page 1903 not page, but 1903, it says, "A time has come when God, when as God opens the way, families should move out of the cities. Children should be taken into the country. The parents should get as suitable a place as their means will allow. Though the dwelling may be small, yet there should be land in connection with it that it may be cultivated. So Ellen White's saying that the time has come where God is, Opening the way, he will open the way for us if we seek to follow his instruction for us to move out of the cities and take our families into the country. And though our dwellings may be small, there God's going to use allow that land that He provides for us that could be used to, to be cultivated. Why do we need land to be cultivated? Why do we need land to grow vegetables and food and our own means? Well, we see the times we're living in, don't we? We see that uh, there's a news article here uh, back in April 17 of this year, thousands of families lined up up in cars for hours on end at a Texas food bank in San Antonio during the COVID-19 crisis, which batters the economy. And so this is an amazing aerial shot Of all these cars, it's not a a parking lot or a car dealership. This is all these people waiting for food due to the fact that they have no means to buy food. We see also uh, in May 14th, again, we see in Dallas Fair Park, North Texas Food Bank gives food away and there's thousands lined up for miles for food. And then we also see recently, just a week or two ago, it says that there was a fair park food giveaway as well. And there's cars lined up for stretches. And during this COVID pandemic, we're seeing people going on unemployment, people that have no means to, to provide even food for their families. Could this be the reason why, I don't know why it's telling us, I believe that is why she's telling us to find places that we can sustain ourselves and grow our own food to be self-sustaining. This is in line with what council from the spirit of prophecy tells us. This is the times that we're living in that tells us that even more, this council should be heeded. And we see, this is what Ellen White says, this was, the, this was the burden on her heart. In the Review and Herald, December 11, 1900, she says, I could not sleep past two o'clock this morning. During the night season, I was in council. I was pleading with some families to avail themselves of God's Means and get away from the cities to save their children. Some were loitering, making no determined efforts. The angels of mercy hurried Lot and his wife and his daughters by taking hold of their hands. Had Lot hastened as the Lord desired him to, his wife would not have become a pillar of salt. Lot had too much of a lingering spirit. Let us not be like him. The story of Lot is is a lesson that we should learn from a lesson that we should not repeat that what they went through. And she goes on to say the same voice that warned lot to leave Sodom bids us come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean. Those who obey this warning will find a refuge. Let every man be wide awake for himself and try to save his family. Let him gird himself for the work God will reveal from point to point what to do next. So you may not know where to go. You may not know what to do, but if you decide to step out in faith as Abraham did, God will reveal from point to point what to do next. If you seek to follow his counsel, just as Jesus counseled those Christians, when you see the abomination of desolation surrounding Jerusalem, flee to the mountains, they heeded that and they were saved. And Jesus goes further to say, let him who's on the housetop not come down to take back anything out of his house. Neither him, which is in the field, return back to take his clothes. Just flee. And friends, that tells us something. We should not wait for the National Sunday Law to be passed in order for us to move. By then, it may be too late. We need to Obtain and secure a self-sustaining lifestyle. And not just for mere self-preservation or self-defense, not for us to be like those doomsday preppers that hide away and hoard everything and just and, and protect their things with a gun. No, the purpose of country living, the purpose of living and getting out of the cities is to first of all get away from the influences that are so demoralizing and, and, and uh, terrible for our spiritual well-being but for us to develop character for us to cultivate faith in God while in the country and depending on him and also using our place that God has provided for us as a mission outpost to the cities. Some people say, you know, well, I got to stay in the city because I got to reach people in the city, but you can reach people like the Waldensians did when they were in the mountains, they came down to the cities and the universities to witness to people and the mission outpost to the cities is something that we are called to do according to counsel from the spirit of prophecy. What we need to remember is Lot's wife. Now is not the time to continue life as usual. It's time for us to sober up. It's time for us to be vigilant. Understanding the times that we're living in, we need to take a spiritual assessment, a spiritual inventory We need to turn back to God and abide in him and draw nearer to him than we ever have before. Because prophecy tells us that the crisis is before us. God is allowing these things to happen. And then what we see around us, the coronavirus, these protests and these riots and, and social unrest and these random acts of violence that are taking place here, we see what Spirit of prophecy tells us that the spirit of God is being withdrawn. And God is allowing these things to happen. Why? So that we will wake up from our spiritual stupor. I'd like to take a moment to read an article by Conrad Vine. And if you guys don't know who Conrad Vine is, he works for uh, AFM, Adventist Frontier Missions. And in his magazine, he wrote an article. And I'd like to take time to read this article. It's entitled The Dry Run for the Final Crisis. And I'm just going to read this article. And it says, as we survey the impact of COVID-19 on basic civil liberties, constitutional rights, and religious freedom in the USA, it is evident that when a state of emergency is declared, whether at the state or national level, nothing is sacred. No rights are unalienable, including freedom of conscience. Despite the best intentions on the part of legislators and governors nationwide in their battle against coronavirus, the lockdowns also caused to varying degrees, the suspension of supposedly inalienable freedoms contained in the US bill of rights, our first amendment rights. The COVID-19 pandemic has merely highlighted that all of the tools of oppression of God's end time people are already in place. One, a corrupt national media pushes a narrative and agenda whereby our civil liberties, constitutional rights, and religious freedoms are indefinitely suspended during a state of emergency. Two, social media giants restrict and deplatform anyone questioning the dominant narrative. Three, the centers to the dominant narrative are demonized in the media, and political leaders ascribe the worst possible motives to them. Four, gatherings for worship and evangelism are banned on pain of fines or arrest, even drive-in services. Five, Americans are encouraged to call hotlines and report neighbors they suspect of failing to comply with orders. Six, track and trace apps monitor the movements of entire populations, giving authorities unprecedented intrusion into privacy. Seven, Smart tools such as Siri, Alexa, and Google Assistant used in millions of homes and phones across the United States have the ability to record nearly every word spoken. Eight, the full force of the state is used to destroy the families and livelihoods of the centers, including the very real threat of removing children from the home. Nine, state authorities general arbitrarily revoke business licenses and registrations, denying individuals their ability to buy, sell, bank, or make a living. 10, international travel is brought to a shuddering halt at the stroke of a pen. 11, almost all U.S. colleges and churches are ordered to close indefinitely. Truth is declared, hate speech is driven from the public square. In the COVID-19 pandemic, people are responding to the lockdowns in a spectrum of ways. Some enthusiastically endorse it, and others report their neighbors' violations. Others hunker down with gritted teeth. Still, others speak up in opposition or even march against it. The only thing that remains is a political excuse to turn these tools on those who are faithful to the Creator God. Historically, Adventists have rarely shown a united response to persecution. German Adventists split in World War I over how to respond to conscription and bearing of arms for the Kaiser. In response to the totalitarian demands of communist rulers, Adventists fractured along national fault lines. In many countries, the church divided into an official body and an underground body. Those fault lines hardened and still exist today. So what are the key takeaways? All the tools needed to oppress God's end-time people are in place the end-time persecution, our civil and religious liberties will be revoked. All of our church buildings, colleges, conferences, unions, divisions, and other Adventist entities will be closed down. Our ability to buy, sell, bank, and travel will be suspended. We will be demonized across the political spectrum and in all media. As Jesus said, you will be hated by all men for my name's sake, Mark 13, 13. Perhaps most tragically in the coming end time persecution, I anticipate that Adventism will fracture. Some will excuse persecution and even participate in it. Others will accommodate it. Others yet will reject it, hunker it down and await the second coming. And he closes by saying, COVID-19 is a wake up call. Are we ready for the end time persecution? Are we laying up treasure on earth or in heaven above? Is anything holding us to this earth and overriding our fidelity to our father? And he uses an example from Stalin and when he ran prison camps, and this is what he says. In Stalin's prison camps, the guards knew that if a prisoner was allowed to keep just one personal item, whether it's a comb or anything, the threat of confiscating that item would guarantee the pres- prisoner's compliance. Just one measly item. And that takes us back to the warning that Jesus gave. Remember Lot's wife. You know, are there things in our life that we hold on to? Are there things in our life that we cannot let go? You know, And he ends with this prayer. He says, Dear Father, I confess that false gods have infiltrated and captivated my soul. My heart, like that of Lot's wife, is chained to this world. Please remove these false gods from me today. And may my whole being be captive to you and your word alone. Amen. You know, that is something that we need to think about. You know, when Jesus said to... Flee to the mountains. Do not go down to your house to get your clothes or do not linger. What Jesus is saying is this. When you see the final sign, your heart, your mind should be so ready that you're willing to leave your earthly pleasures without a second thought. We can enjoy earthly things today. But what Jesus is saying is, do not put your heart in those things because we can be possessive, can't we? We can we can be attached to certain things. We can hoard things. And although the things that we have, it's not altogether evil, but in a time where quick, fast spiritual decision needs to be made, those things can be hindrances. You may enjoy the things that God has given you, but your mind must always be ready, must always be prepared to detach from them without a second thought. And that preparation needs to happen now. How? You pray like that every day. You thank God for the things that you have and you enjoy, but you, if you decide, you tell God, Lord, if you decide to take those things away from me, even my life support, even my means of survival, I will still trust in you. And brothers and sisters, this is the type of preparation that we need for the second coming of Christ. Are we willing to let go of everything and make Jesus our all in all? And in order for us to be ready for the final crisis, we need to start trusting him now. We need to put our faith and exercise that faith in him now. And so I pray that that will be our desire to seek after Jesus and make him the one that provides for our every need. And so may God bless you. I'd like to close with a word of prayer as we end tonight. Let's pray. Gracious heavenly father, we thank you so much for, the words of prophecy and that gives us insight into what's to take place in the future and how we can be prepared. Lord, we are living between the two sieges, and we know that the second one is soon to come upon us. We see things taking place, things are being set up for the final movements to be rapid ones, and things have been happening, Lord, in an escalated rate, in an accelerated rate. And, Lord, we we want to lift up our eyes and lift up our heads to you, knowing that our redemption draweth nigh. Lord, you are our sustenance. Only you can we rely on and depend on. So, Lord, we pray that you'll please provide for our every need, especially the need for our spiritual need. We pray that you'll please increase our faith. We pray that you please give us a double portion of your Holy Spirit We pray that you'll please help us to be ready for what's to come and help us to strengthen our faith in preparation for that time. Be with us all tonight, Lord. Be with those who have tuned in tonight. I pray that you please bless them and their families that are represented. Lord, I pray that you'll please also stir upon their hearts to to seek a place in the country during this time. Uh, May they seek to find your providential hand leading them and guiding them so that they can prepare the means necessary in preparation for what's to come. Lord, we thank you for all that you do and all that you've provided for us. We thank you for our health. We thank you for our well-being. We thank you for our families who are with us. But Lord, more importantly, we thank you for your word that is a light during these dark times. Please continue to give us a hunger for your word during this time so that we will scour the pages of your word and be spiritually strengthened and spiritually nourished. Thank you for hearing this prayer, and we thank you in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org